In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. I feel like I should tell you, my name is Josh Bales. I, I work here. Uh, no, we, I, you know, a, a few of you have asked me recently, hey, we haven't seen you around. So it's worth just maybe mentioning that earlier this year, you may not know this, I, I uh, moved from a full-time position at the cathedral to uh, kind of a stipendary tree. So I'm scheduled to be with you about twice a month. And I'm just really glad to be here today. And Mindy and I have this. Uh, the weekends that we're, we're not here, we're usually playing music somewhere or or or, or um, whatnot. So it's really good uh, to see you, to be with you. Um, yesterday, I had the honor and privilege of um, presiding at Bill and Nancy Jones' son's funeral. Um, Bill, Bill Jr., or Billy, as they call them, um, he was a salt-of-the-earth character. And he, um, one of the stories that's told about him is when one of his family members at some point in, in the recent past said to him, hey, you know, Billy, I, uh, all that God stuff, like I don't, I, don't be- I don't actually believe in any of that. I don't believe in, in God. And Billy's response was, yeah, but, but God believes in you. <laughs> God believes in you. Today's Old Testament lesson that we just heard is about a woman who needs to hear Billy's word. God believes in you. Hagar, a character you may not be that familiar with, comes to us in the pages of Genesis 16 and now in our Old Testament lesson today, Genesis 21. She is, in pretty much every way you could imagine, on the fringes of society, at least from the biblical world's perspective, from the Hebrew people's perspective. She's Egyptian, not Hebrew. She was uprooted from her family and her culture to be plugged into Abraham and Sarah's family as a slave, three, and servant. Four, she's female, which in scholar Robert Alter's words means in that culture, she's just a piece of property. Horrific to our modern ears, I know. Egyptian, uprooted from family, a slave, female, treated, objectified as a piece of property. And in the story, um, it's, it's clear, as we're, as we're reading it from a modern sensibility perspective, she was abused. Um, she was used to bear a child uh, for Abraham. Now, I, I got to say, you know, the Bible um, is hard to read and understand at places. And for us with modern ears, this is one of those times. I would have you remember, although this doesn't change the injustice as we look at it now of the situation, but I would have you remember that for all the characters in this story, their cultural norms were so, so, so different. Um, I don't know if that makes it any better. 
but it wasn't strange for a family to have a female slave and if they were barren or infertile to um, continue their family line through that slave. That was a cultural norm for them. We could go into all of that, but we won't. It doesn't change the fact of how it sounds to us now after especially Me Too and Church Too. Because remember, Abram and Sarah were God's people. So in a strange way, Hagar has been hurt by the church. I mean, that's how we would say it today. Now, God's got this. You've got to hang on to the end of the story because God has made promises not just to Abram and Sarah, but also to Hagar in Genesis 16. You can go back and read about that. But I wonder if we just paused a moment before we get into the details, if we just pause to ask ourselves, is this, is this us? Like in what way have you felt Hagar's pain? For some of us, we're a downtown church. For some of us, we felt it in very physical ways, in eerily similar ways, like we were kicked out. We were tossed to the curb. We had no resources. We felt like even God was against us. We left one culture and all the, the familiarity and comfort that went with that and landed in another one. And we found ourselves at rock bottom crying out to God, feeling utterly alone. That's some of our story. In fact, we were just in Dean's Hour across um, the, the breezeway there in the Great Hall hearing Joanne Hamrick talk about Jobs Partnership, which is a ministry that the cathedral teams up with for people just like that. The, the, not everybody is in some different low socioeconomic status either. There are lots of ways in which our society can land you on your back. Well, that's true for Hagar. That's her story. Now, it doesn't do any good for us to start comparing our traumas, who's hurt more, you know, but other people, as we read Hagar's story, you're going to identify with this lady because God's people have messed your life up. You're hanging on by a thread. You barely believe in God because God's people have misrepresented God to you. You're emotionally hurt. You've been rejected, betrayed, and so on. So you're going to identify with Hagar in this way. But do you feel her pain? When we come to Old Testament stories like this, to get the point that the narrator, the author, is really bringing forward, you've got to feel with the characters in the story. Okay, so having said that, are you with me with Hagar? I hope you've got something in mind, some way in which you've been brought to the brink like this. Here's the good news of the gospel today from Genesis 21. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And I might add, even when his people don't, God keeps his promises. The narrator of the story wants us to see this. Genesis 15, 16, 17, 18, all the way through 21. It's all about covenant, God's special relationship. God has made a covenant or kept and made a promise to his people and he will keep it even if they don't. So here are two details from this story about Hagar that reminds us of, in Billy's words, God believes in you even if it feels like no one else does. First of all, 
when it feels like no one else knows your name, when no one knows you or sees you, when you feel dismissed like Hagar, God believes in you. God knows your name. What's fascinating in this text is, um, well, I'll give you a taste of it. This is from early on, and this is true in earlier chapters in Genesis 16 too. Listen, did you catch this part? But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, listen to how Sarah describes Hagar, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son, Isaac. It's funny, she can remember Isaac's name, but she can't seem to remember Ishmael's name or Hagar's name for that matter. The scholars would point out to us that one of the interesting uh, storytelling devices that the narrator of this uh, Genesis passage uses to engender our compassion for this woman and her plight is that the narrator depicts Sarah and Abraham not saying her name. She's just called slave woman. That girl, basically. That girl. But the narrator uses her name. And so does God. You can read about it earlier in Genesis 16, but God sees her, God speaks to her. And by the way, that doesn't happen often in the pages of the Bible as a whole when God reveals himself to an individual. That happens to this outsider, to this woman who's got nothing left. God says her name, even when Abram and Sarah don't. I can't help but think of this song that I learned uh, many years ago. Um, we used to sing it at a previous church. It's not in the hymnal. It's quite modern. Um, it's too, it's too uh, meaningful and even pretty of a melody not to try to sing it. It goes like this. I have a maker. He formed my heart. And before even time began, my life was in his hand. Cause he knows my name, and he knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and tears me when I call. Tommy Walker's song, he knows my name. Even when it feels like no one does, God knows your name. Second, detail of the story. When it feels like even God is against us, God believes in you. Did you catch this part of the story? I'll read from it now. The matter was very distressing to Abraham, the narrator tells us, on account of his son, Okay, so Abraham's rightly upset. This gives us a picture. Okay, thank, thank God someone in this story cares about this lady, right? Abraham does. So, but God says to him this. Now, this is, gets confusing. Do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. That is to say, 
you would almost think that God is even God himself is against Hagar. God, why, why, wait a minute, why are you telling Abraham, God, to listen to Sarah, who's filled with uh, jealousy, apparently, or we can, we can use our imaginations, anger, rivalry, whatever it is, and is literally willing to send this woman and her child out to her de- death. God, how in the world can you be on team Abraham and Sarah? That doesn't make any sense. When it feels like everyone's against you and you're even to the point of thinking, maybe God is out to get me. God believes in you. I say that because that's not the end of this story. It, it may seem that way from Abraham and Sarah. You know, Abraham packs, him, packs her up a lunch, sends her on her way, and that's it. Maybe for Abraham and Sarah, they go, well, good luck and Godspeed. I, I don't know. But all the while, walking through the desert, as the text says, wandering through the desert, even when Hagar put her son under a tree to die and walked away so that she did not have to experience that part of her son's story, even then, Abram and Sarah weren't watching, but God was. And this nobody from Egypt who had been used and was now tossed to the curb, the God of the Bible sees and speaks to and rescues. It's funny, isn't it, when we try to work out God's plans, like his providence, and we're out uh, on the field of some, some sport, and we're praying, oh God, please let me win this game. Like we forget that the other team's probably, that second baseman is also praying, oh God, please let me win this game. It's like, How in the world can God orchestrate everything so that everyone wins, in a sense, so that God keeps his promises to everyone? I really want that job, God. Please, please give me that job. Someone even less qualified from you down the street is praying the same thing, and God gives the job to that person. It almost doesn't make sense. Here's what we need to know from all through Genesis, but especially here. God's got this. He's big enough. His mercies are wide enough. He's powerful enough to to manage every atom in the universe so that it fulfills his righteous will. And this is happening because God is about to take care not only of Hagar and Ishmael, but even Abraham and Sarah. By the way, it's really, it's really because of Abraham and God's promise to Abraham that Hagar even gets included in this story at all. God's got this. He's going to take care of everybody. I love how Frederick Buechner, author, humorously tells this story like this. The story of Hagar, he says, is the story of the terrible jealousy of Sarah and the singular ineffectuality of Abraham and the way Hagar, who knew how to roll with the punches, managed to survive them both. Above and beyond that, though, it's the story of how in the midst of the whole messy affair, the Lord, half tipsy with compassion, went around making marvelous promises and loving everybody and creating great nations like the last of the big-time spenders handing out $100 bills. That's the God of the Bible, even when his people mess it up. 
So are you feeling this in some way? Where have you felt rejected and left out and abandoned? Where have you begun to wonder even if God is against you and rooting for the other team? Cry out to God. Do you realize in the pages of scripture, as we used to say in Tennessee, um, um, my mom and dad would say, okay, someone would say, hey, would you, will you be there on Thursday night? Oh, honey, we'll be there with bells on. We'll be there with bells on. Do you realize that people who are like Hagar all through the pages of scripture are basically like walking around with bells on for God? They're God's favorite people. That's the people God loves to shower and lavish with blessing. When it feels like no one knows your name and everyone's against you, even the God who created everything, God, in the words of Billy Jr., believes in you. I want to close uh, with a song, and um, I'm going to have to grab my guitar for that. This is a song actually called God Believes in You. I don't know if Bill Jr. knew this songwriter, whose name is Pierce Pettis. Pierce Pettis wrote a song called God Believes in You. I remember the first time I heard it, I thought, well, well, that's just, that's scandalous, isn't it? That's, I mean... Uh, uh, that's so human-centered. Um, but in my experience, especially even in the counseling office, um, there are a lot of people uh, who don't believe in God, who don't believe in themselves, and it would mean a lot to hear, yeah, but God sees you. God sees you and knows you. When you start to doubt that you exist, God believes in you. Confounded by the evidence, God believes in you. When the light inside burns so dim, and when your chances seem so slim, when you swear you don't believe in him, God believes in you. When you rise up just to fall again, God believes in you. Deserted by your closest friends, God believes in you. When you're betrayed with a kiss, you turn your cheek to another fist. It does not have to end like this. Because God believes in you. Oh, everything matters if anything matters at all. Everything matters no matter how big, no matter how small. Oh, God believes in you. God believes in you. When you're so ashamed you could die, God believes in you. When you can't do right even though you try, God believes in you. And blessed are the ones who grieve, the ones who mourn, the ones who bleed. In sorrow you sow, in joy you reap. 
Cause God believes in you. Oh, God believes in you. Oh, God believes in you. Amen.